Hello, I am Jesse, and this is my co my co-host, Naomi Beatty. <laughs> I'm Naomi Beatty, and this is my sidekick, Jesse Kester. Woo! Thank you, and welcome to another edition of Movies, the podcast. <laughs> today, today, let's just get right into it. You want to get right let's into get it? Let's get right into we it. Got, we, got a, we got a movie. Mm-hmm. We got a movie, Paul Thomas Anderson's classic, uh, There Will Be Blood. Yes. Uh, he Not to ruin it for you, but he delivers on the promise. <laughs> and, uh, and then I got a pitch for you, and I'm very excited. To do this one, this one uh, hit hit multiple brick walls on this one, and mm. I feel like I got something tangible cool. at this point. So let's get into there will be blood, yeah, let's so that talk we can get into your pitch attrition. Ooh, yeah, I like it. Nice. no, the title I've been sitting on the title for a minute, but and if we're going to talk about there will be blood, there's a couple things we're definitely going to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, Paul Fisk to be sure. We're going to talk about heaven and hell. I imagine we're going to talk about uh, dialogue and. The absence thereof. Okay. Anything you think we're gonna? Anything you want to tease at the top? Um, not really. I'm. I'm more than anything. I'm curious to hear uh, your opinion of this because I have some. I have some opinions and questions about it. Well, okay. Um, I'm more interested to hear your opinions because I don't have <laughs> opinions. I have facts on this film, and the fact is. This is where I'm at with There Will Be Blood. Mm -hmm. If this was the last movie that was ever made by humans, (laughs) that would be okay. Mm -hmm. I I think that this is like 100% the point of cinema. Got it. it. I think it's a perfect film. I think the performances... So this is why, like there, there is nothing, there is nothing that that, that was off the mark. About this, yeah. Um, and before we get too deep into it, I just want to give the biggest of shout outs to Jack Fisk. He is the production designer on this, mm, okay. and th- that's, in my opinion, that's the movie. Everything else is beautiful and perfect, but without the immaculate production design, everything looking exactly mm-hmm. appropriate for the film. There's no the rest of the film. So yeah. much love to production design and much love to Jack Fisk. Is on this that one. um is that Skylar Fisk's dad? Is that any relation to Skylar Fisk? I was not expecting follow up questions. <laughs> That's all you know about the movie, <laughs> about the people involved. Um, it's possible, but l- let's get in. Let's get into uh, where where you what what okay. you think because yes, it so seems like your opinion might be more nuanced than mine. So. So I feel like I have a, a lot of things I have to tell you to preface my opinion. Um, one is that this is the first time I've seen this movie. So even though it is widely regarded as a classic and mm-hmm. oh, I keep hitting the mic. <laughs> That's okay. Um, okay. It's everyone loves this movie. It has like a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which and I think is 5% <laughs> stolen. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> um, so people love this movie. Critics loved this movie almost universally, you know, uh, and when I watched it, one more one more preface. I am not a diehard PT Anderson fan. Okay. So I loved Boogie Nights, and since then, I don't think I've seen a movie of his that I loved. Okay. So I didn't see Magnolia. I hear that's a great one. I am also not a Paul Thomas Anderson okay. fan. I've seen Boogie Nights, and I think that and this okay. are the only it? two that oh, I've really you haven't seen. Punch Drug. Punch oh, I did love. see Punch Trunk Love, but it was kind of like... People love was, that. I think I'm it's not, okay. I thought it was okay, too. Yeah. Um, also, The Master, I hated. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> and um, Inherent Vice, which I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even finish, and I almost never stop watching a movie in the middle. So... This is this is where okay, I was coming okay. from in so watching just this movie. in general. He doesn't speak to you. Yes, exactly. And I I 
people love him so much that I, like I want his movies to speak to me, but every time I see them, I'm left like thinking, I'm, what am I missing here? You know, I might feel the way you feel about uh, like David Lynch might be my version of this where I'm just like, I don't get it. It's yeah. well made from where I'm right. sitting, but it, this is not a transcendent experience. Well, just as an aside, David Lynch is also my David Lynch because <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I'm just like, mm, don't, I don't yeah. get it. No. And the people who get it, it looks like they're having a lot of fun right. getting it, but I am, <laughs> right. I don't get it. Right. Um, but so, so there will be blood. Wasn't that for me? I, I did like it a lot. Um, but I felt like as I was watching it and even as I was enjoying it, I was enjoying it on a purely analytical level, like on a purely, um, you know, appreciation for the filmmaking and the performances of course were amazing. Like Mm -hmm. no, nothing to fault there. You know, it was, it was great and it was well put together and it's a well-written story and everything about it is great. It didn't make me feel anything. And that's where, and that's where I sort of go, if this is the last movie ever made, I would be disappointed because I want a movie to like make me cry or make me bust a gut laughing or scare the pants off of me, you know? So, so I, I felt more when I started thinking about it after the fact, like movies over. And I'm thinking about the experience of real people in situations like that in history. Mm-hmm. Then I was sort of like, Oh, okay. I see. I, I get kind of the, uh, the emotion of it then. But as I was watching the movie, I, I did that is- part of, uh, can I, can I just say one more thing? Part of, <laughs> part of the problem I think though, is that I saw and loved phantom thread Mm-hmm. which is also Daniel Day-Lewis. And so I spent most of this movie saying, how was that the same person? He so transforms in both of those roles that I, I mean, I genuinely like spent half the movie going like, am I wrong? Is that not the same person? How have could- you seen Lincoln? No. Oh, it's yes, another yes. one yeah, where he just disappears. Yeah. yeah. So I think I'm sort of distracted by how good his performance is, which is unfair. Um, but yeah, I, that was a big distraction so for me. Your biggest complaint about this film is, is that, that it's it was so too good. perfect. <laughs> yes. So immaculate in every way. It was too good. I yeah. think part of, you know, part of me not feeling the emotion of it is that I, I didn't feel invested in that main character. I, I, you know, I love to hate Daniel Plainview, but I, I wasn't on board he's, with him. Yeah, he's so. a sociopath. Right. And we spend a lot of time with a sociopath right. who lives for exploiting as many people as he can in, right. in as violent right. ways as he possibly can. I felt more for his son in that last, in that final, not the final, final scene, the, which is a great scene, but mm-hmm. the one where his, his grown son is saying, I, you know, I want to go my separate way and then and he just you know oof, kills him verbally you know what I mean and I I felt more for the son that was like the most emotion I had in the movie because I was feeling for the son that's what struck me this time around was uh it kind of the, the 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 scene that made my ears twitch was uh when when Eli comes down and says where's my thousand dollars and then Daniel shoves him into the mud and he starts slapping him and smearing mud on his face mm-hmm. Nobody does anything. Mm -hmm. Everybody just stands around. Nobody cares in this film. Nobody cares about anything other than themselves. Right. It is 100% of the population is self-involved in this film. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, if if you didn't feel much from it, it's because it's so pathologically self-involved. Right. I will say there were two other places where I did have a twinge of emotion. I'm not totally dead inside. So there were two other places. And these are scenes that I really liked because they made me feel something. Um, 
when Daniel Plainview puts his son, his now deaf son on the train and walks away. That, that got, scene is intense. That got me in the gut, you know, cause that's, I think you see him, you see the vulnerability in him. Like not just that I was feeling for the poor little kid, but you, you see the vulnerability in Daniel Plainview cause he's, it's not an easy thing. He does it. He does it without much hesitation, yeah. but you can kind of see on his face that it's, it's not totally, he doesn't care, you know? I think, well, uh, there's a, there's a big question I have, uh, right before that, the little boy, uh, starts burning down the cabin. Mm-hmm. Does HW Plainview smell a rat or does he just not want competition? Like what? I think he doesn't want, I, I, I debated that in my head too. And I think I came around to not that he smells a rat because, um, the journal is a genu- is the real thing. That yeah. is his actual uncle's journal. Um, but I think just that he, uh, it would be a, a wedge or a, a competition for his father's yes. attention. Yes. And then Daniel bets on the wrong horse. Mm-hmm. And I think when he's walking away, he knows how big the bet is that he's making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good um, point. So the other moment that I that I got the feels was yes, yes. <laughs> was when uh, when Daniel Plainview has that realization that his the guy who's saying he's his brother isn't his brother, and it's that long drawn out moment where he you see him like you see the process on his face and you see him accepting what he's just learned totally mm-hmm. silently, and and then you just know, you know, what's coming. I mean, kind of, you know, it's, it's all going downhill from here. Um, but I, but that, I mean, his performance really right there, uh, delivered what that moment needed to, which is like, he was also, he wasn't just angry. He was hurt by that. You know, it's like this one person that he had sort of let in and his one fan, his one real family member that, and he had made himself kind of like open to this person and brought him into his life had lied to him, you know? There's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the screenwriting. Sure. Which is bananas good. (laughs) Yes. There's, that scene also uh, stuck out for me when that conversation they have uh, a little bit before that. The the brother is asking him questions and Daniel says, I don't like to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Anytime before that, when he's getting into a, a lie, he says, I, I, I believe in speaking plainly on mm-hmm. a topic. And then he'll just lie and lie and lie and lie. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time he chooses he not to, to lie. lie. Yeah. yeah. And that he speaks honestly by not speaking mm-hmm. at all. And uh, this was another thing that was striking me was this is a kind of semi-perfect follow-up to Brick where everything mm-hmm. is so very said. And mm-hmm. the first 15 minutes of this film is without any dialogue mm-hmm. at all. And the moment that you were talking about of the realization is... Uh, one of the, a really good example of that I felt was the visual metaphor when he's in the water and the wave is coming up behind him and like you know mm-hmm. the, the visual poetry of a wave cresting and about to crash on his head yeah. as he's doing the math in his head of what he has to do next now that he knows this information right and how wrong he bet mm-hmm. on this man who wasn't his brother as he turned away the boy who wasn't his son yeah yeah. And that there will be uh, there will be nothing for him. Right. There is not the two people that he has considered loving family. Yeah. Yeah. Cannot love him and he cannot love them mm-hmm. because of his his bad guesses. Let's back up. Let's back. I feel like we're <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we're too far to back up. Okay. <laughs> 
what other point you wanted to talk about dialogue? Dialogue. Or did we cover dialogue. that already? Just uh, the the use of not dialogue and how how much you can pack into an image without saying anything. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I do a lot is lean on dialogue. Sure. And this is just one of the brilliant cases of you don't you don't need dialogue for the first fifteen minutes to set up the fact that uh, that Daniel Plainview is going to overload his bucket mm-hmm. and that it's going to cause him harm when he overloads his bucket and doesn't ask for help when right. his bucket is overloaded. Right. But, like the the way they set up his his flaws and mm-hmm. the things that will haunt him through the whole film without saying a word mm-hmm. is is really brilliant. Right. Um, I like that. Um, since we're on the topic of dialogue, mm-hmm. I finally understand what I drink your milkshake means. <laughs> oh, you didn't know? No, I didn't okay. know it was from this movie. I had heard people say that. I'm sure I've seen it on memes, <laughs> but I had no idea where it came from. Now I know. Are you going to start using that in daily conversation? <laughs> now? <laughs> um, Ten years after the movie? Yes, it'll be super duper hip. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna drink your milkshake next. <laughs> try to try to be nice about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> what What do you think about uh, Daniel Day Lewis's performance? Do you think he's overdoing it, or is it? You know, I because he goes big. He does go big. I loved it. I thought okay. his performance was great. I can see the argument that it's a little it, that it might be too much because he. I mean, you can't take your eyes off of him. It's sort of, you know, he's just like a magnetic force yeah. on the screen. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I loved that. So I can't complain about it. Okay. <laughs> That's where I'm at too. It's, it's big. Yeah. And he goes big, like mm-hmm. gangs in New York. It's big. Right. <laughs> he does it big. Um, we should talk about that last scene. Yes, which one? Oh, that's the the very last one. <laughs> oh, the the I'm finished. Yes. Let's before we get into that. Okay. Let's talk about heaven and hell because I did tease yeah. that one and I yes. don't want to let him down. What do you think about heaven and hell? I think it's uh, it's so nice the way <laughs> there's the you know the they they just paint the picture over and over that Daniel is the devil mm. when he's not okay well let's back up a little bit more (laughs) that's what i say a lot you say well i will say but i say let's back up a little bit so uh what i will say Uh is that um now i've forgotten what i was gonna say (laughs) heaven and hell heaven and hell um the the way i frame this movie is that this is the story of america's suicide Mm. that this is this is when we killed ourselves and we are just a corpse rolling down a very, very tall hill. Wow. That's that's how I feel when I'm watching this that's film. That's optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> There's no course correction. <laughs> um, but they paint Daniel as, as the devil. He's not. He's just America's suicide. Mm-hmm. And they paint Eli as... I think it's pretty clear he's a false prophet. Mm-hmm. And he's as much of a prophet as Daniel is uh, a vessel for the devil. Mm-hmm. The, these two right. men are equally matched as as vessels of God and the devil, which is neither of them are either of those right. things at all. Sure. Um, and, and they always are painting Daniel with with the black smoke billowing and the fire behind him lit red and he's in shadows. And mm-hmm. when Eli is coming down to ask for his thousand dollars, there's the flat water that's reflecting the sky. And mm-hmm. that paints the, the, por- the, 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 uh, like he's surrounded by this, this reflection of heaven mm-hmm. as he approaches. That's cool. Daniel. It's just really good imagery it throughout. Is. There's just yeah. beautiful, beautiful imagery. And I think it's easy to forget when you, when you're, when you're writing that you're, you're making images, right? You're not just making crackling dialogue. Yeah. Well, 
I will say. <laughs> and I hope you do. <laughs> so, I mean, so this script was written by a, a director. I mean, he's yeah. a writer, he's a writer director, but I I'm willing to bet that he thinks of himself as a director first, right? Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. 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 So no, the, the script is a blueprint for what he's sure. going to direct. Yes. It's not a script. Yeah. It's, but that's what I actually think is interesting about reading scripts that were written by directors, by writer directors. Um, a lot of people don't like to read them because they feel like it's not what um, aspiring screenwriters can get away with because there's so much that they do like almost as a shorthand because they know what they're yep, talking about yep, and yep, they yep, know yep. what they're planning. But I actually think it's a good thing to try at least some because you get an idea of how a director is going to think about what they want to put in the script and what they want in the yeah. story. Right. And I think a lot of times directors write in a way that's more visual than, than straight screenwriters do. So there is something to be learned there. Um, can I ask a very, sus- yeah. you, you, you do writing as well as I do the writing. You, sure. do, you do do the writing. <laughs> um, when you do the writing, mm-hmm. how do you, uh, I try to, when I'm doing slugs, I try to approach it one paragraph per shot. Okay. As, as I'm describing things, do you have any, yeah. any, I think that's a good rule of thumb. I, it's, you know, you know, I don't believe in rules. I don't think it's a yeah. hard and fast rule. I, and of course there's, it's not blah, blah, blah. It's sure. just uh, generally yeah. like I'm trying to subliminally make people think like next shot, next shot with each paragraph yes. break. Yes. And I think that, I think that's a good rule of thumb. Um, I think sometimes just the rhythm of what's on the page doesn't mm-hmm. allow for that. Like you, you might end up with a whole bunch of really just like one line things oh, that, yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah. end up feeling a little bit more staccato than the moment in, you intended in the moment, or it just, it might feel colder than you wanted that scene yeah. to feel or something like that. So there's always adjustment, I think, but, um, but in general, good rule of thumb. Um, the, you know, I, I just think about it as like, you know, you're, you're sort of directing our attention yeah. on the page with, with an eye toward eliciting a certain emotion. So, uh, one of the mistakes that I see in a lot of scripts is, um, is sort of like not landing the scene anywhere. So, you know, writing out the scene, but it doesn't, it doesn't end on, um, you know, something that gives us the intention of the scene as far as like an emotion or the reaction of a character or something. When you say landing, you mean the last bit, not landing in on a clear description? Um, I mean, you can end on a description or you can end on dialogue. Either one is fine, but I just mean sort of ending the scene as a whole on, on what you want us to kind of take away. Okay. Um, yeah, scene I, I don't ending know is I, really hard though, because yeah. people keep talking after. As soon as we press stop, you and I keep talking <laughs> right. after the episode's done, and it, in any situation, people just keep talking. Right. When you say goodbye to a friend, there's always five more minutes at the car when you're like, "Oh yeah, sure. just the thing." But you know how like it um, movies aren't real life. <laughs> <laughs> out of here. I'm just, I'm thinking about the habits, the, the, right. the reasons for this. Right. That. But so that's what I think that is something to pay attention to is you're ending a scene on basically a, a piece of information and I, and use that term loosely because I think it can be an emotional in, piece of information mm-hmm. or a, a piece of emotional information that is that is important to the story. You're not just cutting out of a scene because you're done or they're done talking. You know, you, you're giving us an effect and that effect is, you know, it has momentum into the next scene. So that's, I guess the point that I was trying to make is that 
I find um, sometimes when I'm reading scripts, that's lacking is you'll, you'll sort of get in and out of a scene and, and be like, I don't really know what I was supposed to take away from that. Was I supposed to feel sorry for one of the characters or was I supposed to understand that they realized something new or, you know, like where are they going after this? I have no idea. Yeah. I think I, I do, I do a bit of reading and feedback as well. And one thing I see a lot is close up on, I pull back to reveal mm. when you could just as easily describe only the iris or that her pupils are wide sure, as, yeah. as she glances back and forth. Yeah. Well, that's the trick. That's how you get to direct on the page without directing on the yeah, page. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, um, what was what, next topic? Next topic, please. <laughs> I wish we had the ding bell to, to, to get us onto the next thing. Go for it. So, uh, I got I got one question, mm-hmm. and then there's one thing I want to talk about before we wrap this one up. But okay. the, the big question on my mind is: uh, Is Paul real? Okay. And your you answer want, is: Do you want my opinion? <laughs> yes, I want. <laughs> uh, yes, so I believe that he is real. I do not. Okay. Let's explore both of these. You Excellent. go first. I'm, I'm happy to hear your reasoning. the The main reason I I did have that question too, mm-hmm. but the main reason I believed he was real was because after the movie was over, I read about it a little bit online mm-hmm. and just reading about the movie in general and. Um, read that Paul Dano was originally cast just to play Paul mm-hmm. and there was another actor cast to play Eli, but then that actor didn't work out. And so they just had Paul Dano play both, which yes. I think is a really interesting choice because what are you trying to do with that choice? You know what I mean? Like you're trying to get us to wonder if he's real or wonder if there's some trickery involved or, you know, I love that. I'm going to, let's pull this back to that screenwriter is the director thing. I really love that decision because the first time you see Paul Dano, his face is so freaking unique. Mm-hmm. You're just like, what am I look? This is a mm-hmm. one of a kind thing that I've never seen before. Yeah. Then the second time you see Paul Dano, you're right. like, what am I seeing? This, <laughs> right. What, what, what math is not working in yeah. my head right now? It's yeah. such a, you're right there yeah. with, with uh, Daniel as he's yes. like looking, trying to figure out what's, what's going, going on. on. Yeah. And he definitely has that reaction, which is like, is this kid playing some sort of trick on me? Like, was this all a ruse to get me out here? Like you see yeah, the wheels yeah. turning and that and would not, not have happened if they had had two different actors. Right. Yes. So it's an interesting addition, I think to the story that was not planned. Yes. I think it's a brilliant addition. I don't think that Paul is a real person mm-hmm. because not? they're never in the same room. Okay. If and, that's your only reason, then and there's more. I am there's, <laughs> then there's, I am not a real person based on the fact that I'm never in the same room with um, Naomi Campbell. I don't know. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> now, if you were Naomi Campbell's identical twin sister, <laughs> right, and you'd always be like, "Well, I'm out of here," <laughs> and Naomi will be here in five minutes, and then you walk out the door, and five minutes later, someone who looks just like you walks in and says, "Hi, right. I'm this time I'm Naomi." Right, I'm missing That's the little... identical part. Sure, I get that. <laughs> um, the 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 other thing is the way that uh, Daniel needles him in the final scene, mm. and he says, "No, no, no! I gave the money to Paul. Mm. Paul's the one who set up the deal." Paul sold you out. I mm. do think that uh, Eli, it, whether he invented Paul in his head or uh, whatever Paul is in Eli's head, mm-hmm. Daniel is one step ahead of him on understanding what that entity is in his mind. So so here's a question, though. Um, I mean, and again, we both agree this is like a really cool, you know, sort of on the spot decision that P.T. Mm-hmm. Anderson made, right, to, to add this layer to the story. But thinking about it from a story point of view, what would Eli, the 
the character, the person, right? What does mm-hmm. he have to gain by pretending to be Paul? Why wouldn't he show up as Eli and say, hey, I know where you can buy this cheap land. Come, I, come buy it. I don't know that Eli has that much of an understanding of what's going on inside of his head when mm-hmm. he assumes the Paul identity. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think he fully understands much of what he does. I think he knows how to speak a little bit of a game enough to mm. enough to entertain the locals, right. but he can't franchise. So that's that's interesting. I think I would have believed you more if you had said <laughs> <laughs> if you had said um, it's because he has to maintain his image as a man of God and and doing ah. doing sort of like slightly shady underhanded things yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. go with that image. So he assumes this other identity and whether that's a dissociative thing or just a deliberate, like, okay, I'm just going to pretend to be somebody else. You can, you know, leave that up, up for debate. But I think I would have believed that reasoning. Okay, I, think, I think Eli <laughs> has just as much self-loathing as Daniel does. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Daniel is much more open about his self-loathing. He, he can say, I hate people. Mm-hmm. I just, as a general rule mm-hmm. of thumb, I don't like any of them. Mm-hmm. But Eli has to live a life where he's pretending to like people and pretending that people like him. Right. And doing good for people. Doing yeah. Good things. I yeah. love, I love that it only works locally. Like he goes out to do his mission work right. and just, he cannot cut the mustard right. outside of nowhere, yeah. Texas. Yeah. I agree. It, 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 I think that's a beautiful thing. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is much more screenwriting oriented than, okay. than clever who who's it at the end <laughs> twists. I want to talk about the monologue as a tool. Do you ever mm, interesting like, in what way? And, and, there is, uh, Daniel has his, I hate all humans and I despise all, he, like he lays out who he is mm-hmm. in, in a beautiful, beautiful monologue. And uh, how do you, how do you reckon we can best use the monologue in screenwriting? Cause sometimes it, it, it can be really heavy and mm-hmm. a huge waste of the audience's time and a perfect window into the writer's indulgences. Sure. Or it can be one of the most cutting, incisive, brilliant scenes in the whole film. Right. I mean, I don't have any well thought out answers for you since you just sprung this on me. But um, I think my, my gut reaction is to say that the more you can set up the audience's um, interest in that monologue as an answer to something, Mm -hmm. probably the better you'll, you'll fare. If you can make us curious about that, that character so that by the time they're giving you all that information, we're eagerly accepting it, that that can help. Right. Or if the monologue is revealing something else, maybe if it's not about the character, but some other question that we have in our minds or some other tension that you've teased up, right. That, that then you're giving us an answer. I I think that is probably how it, like with any exposition, right. You just touched on something that I didn't even catch in that monologue, making this film even better in my mind than it was before. (laughs) Perfect. There's two, things that are happening in the monologue. The first is that we are getting to see how aware he is of, of his self-loathing and his loathing of the world. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we're getting in that monologue is he's grasping at the straws, like trying to find some way to connect with his brother mm-hmm. and really struggling to, to, uh, to, to be connected to another human, really yeah. like trying to find some way that they can lock yeah. in together. Yeah, that's a good and point. And just, it keeps not working. Like he says, are, are you an angry man? And his brother says, no, I'm not an angry man. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's in me, it's in you. And right. no, it's not in me. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. So much isolation. I mean, so isolation. that's that's really what's great about that scene, right? Is that the 
dialogue isn't for the sake of dialogue. It's actually um, agenda based dialogue, right? Which is oh, which he's is, going in with a plan. Yeah, which is very important when you're writing scenes because I think a lot of times scenes can feel, you know, when you're reading them, you have that feeling of like, where's this going? What are these people doing? And mm-hmm. because dialogue is action, you know, dialogue is all, or it should be, it should have a point. Like the, the character is trying to get something with that yes. dialogue. It's not, they're not just, usually they're not just talking to talk unless that's a point that you, the writer are making that they're just talking. Oh to yeah, talk, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like how Woody Allen will always be twitching. And, right. But even and, then, like if you give that character, that action of just talking to talk, that's an action yeah, that you're yeah. giving them. That's telling us something about them. So dialogue is always action. That's a bit of a gem in there. I'm glad you, you said it twice. <laughs> dialogue is, is action. Yeah. Uh, what was the, oh, the other, the last, last thing. And then we'll move on from, from, uh, there will be blood. And uh, one thing I liked about the writing a lot was how often people are telling other people what they should be saying mm-hmm. and then how, how frequently they, they deny that or they do the opposite of that, or mm-hmm. they do exactly what they are told to say. Mm, Just really brilliant games throughout. Yeah. Of, I think that is a good way to describe it is the characters all feel like they they have a very distinct point of view and it, it feels sort of like you can see the game of each interaction yeah, right yeah which is yeah. which i think is intentional so <laughs> so what did you think of paul f Tompkins' performance in this film who's paul f Tompkins? he is one of my favorite comedians oh who was he in the movie he was the guy do you remember the scene at the beginning when he says oh no there's too much confusion i wouldn't take the lease if you gave it to me I remember that line, but I can't picture the guy's face. The guy who's chasing behind him going, no, 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 there's oh, no confusion. Right. There's no confusion. <laughs> right, That's Paul right, F. Tompkins. Right. Okay. Now, Paul F. Tompkins usually has a mustache, but I think uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's mustache right. scared his mustache away in this film because <laughs> he is clean he face. Like, he is baby face. No contest. I yeah. cannot be in the same scene as that mustache. The only, The only... Daniel Day-Lewis mustache that is better than There Will Be Blood is uh, Bill the Butcher. That mustache is insane. (laughs) Can you grow a mustache? Have you Uh, you tried a a Bill the Butcher style? I have not tried. I think I won't try. Uh, It's the hard-hitting questions. We really get down to it. I think that that is the official cue for us to move on to. (laughs) I think we've exhausted all of our thoughts on this movie. Yep. So we both agree that it's such a perfect film that it is almost so perfect that it couldn't be more perfect and the perfection distracts us from really analyzing how perfect it is. That's the takeaway. I'm glad I am back where I started <laughs> in my shell of protection. All right. Are you ready for attrition? I'm ready. Okay. You're going to have to wait another minute or two because I'm, can I tell like a little story of how this one came to be? Please hook me with the emotion. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I directed a feature film two years ago and our lead actress uh, is, is she's phenomenal. I love working with her and I'm always looking for the next, uh, the next opportunity to collaborate with her. Um, she's always had it in her head that she wants to do a Joan of Arc film. Mm. So I met up with her and I said, like, we were just chatting and I said, what are the, what are the beats of the Joan of Arc story? Like Mm what, what happens in that story that speaks to you? Mm -hmm. Why do you want that one to be the story that you're involved in? And I, my strategy was, okay, I'm going to watch There Will Be Blood and then I'm going to take her beats of Joan of Arc and I'm going to mash them together and I'm going to get a free film out of this. (laughs) Right. And how did that go? Terribly. (laughs) I'm going to go through the beats of what she, I took notes as she was talking Uh And can I ask you a quick question? Mm-hmm. Did, does she mean that she wants to tell the actual Joan of Arc story she, or just a Joan of Arc like story? She wants to be Joan of Arc in okay. a movie. Okay. And I Got said, it. well, like, um, 
if we're doing an independent production, we aren't going to have Joan of Arc money. We aren't going to be able to recreate France and wars for you. So what if, what I wanted to do was kind of pull out of her, what were the, what, what is the arc of this character that Mm -hmm. spoke to her and then try to, uh, shoehorn it into a, a cheap independent Western film. Sure. There you go. Um, all right. So here's what she said. And this, this is a little John Bookery. If if he hears this episode, he might enjoy this (laughs) part. Um, Beat number one, Joan of Arc started out as a farm girl. Over here on the uh, the where be, there will be blood beat, he's uh, a lowly worker, no respect. He's he's a miner and mm-hmm. he's working alone, and there's no there's no future for him mm-hmm. as this. Uh, beat number two, Joan of Arc gets a message from God that she should lead the army. Uh, beat number two, and there will be blood. Paul comes. A message from God <laughs> saying, uh, this is Eli in disguise right. saying, or maybe it's not. Whatever. Right. Sure. Saying, um, saying, come by this land. There's oil here. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a divine, divine message mm-hmm. comes to him. Beat number three, Joan follows the orders. Uh, beat number three, Daniel Plainfield goes out and uh, surveys the land mm-hmm. to see if this message from God is true. Beat number four, Joan convinces the church that she is Joan of Arc. Beat number four, and there will be blood. Uh, Daniel Plainview is able to convince Eli, aka the church, mm-hmm. that uh, he is the right one to to get the oil out of this land. Yep. Beat number five, uh, they sponsor her trip to go meet the king. Uh, beat number five in this film, he goes to the land surveyor, the one who's in control of all the land and convinces him that he is the one who can buy up every piece of land. Mm-hmm. Beat number six, uh, he convinces the, uh, Joan of Arc convinces the king and thereby convinces the people. Daniel Plainview convinces the people of the mm-hmm. community that he is the right one to till the land. <laughs> Beat number seven, Joan becomes the uh, the general of the army. Be, then uh, Daniel Plainview becomes the leader of the oil brigades. Uh, beat number eight, Joan straightens out the army. She gets them all in order. She gets them training and getting the, the battles won. Daniel Plainview is getting the oil out of the ground. <laughs> so it just became this thing where yeah. it's like, this beat sheet is useless. It's, we're, they're all the same story. There's a little bit of deviation when they execute sure. Joan of Arc and burn her. But right. I, I think Daniel gets his own immolation when, right. he, when he so says, I'm finished. So that's interesting because you were trying to take those beats and then use some inspiration from There Will Be Blood to... Um, to make those beats unique, but there will be blood already used those beats. Yeah, yeah, one to one. It was just exactly the beats she laid out for Joan of Arc. That's interesting. Uh, so I had to go back to the old drawing board, as okay. they say. Um, so let's talk attrition now. Okay. Um, I do have a log line. This is a log line written early. Um, so it's changed a little bit, but this is this is the logline I had when I was starting out. After her husband dies, a woman and her daughter migrate to the frontier west. There she learns that the political machinations are as deadly as any natural force. Okay. The political machinations of a new town. Of the small town that yeah. they're in? Okay. Yeah. And where do they move? Um, the, the name of it is in here somewhere, but it's like a small, it's a very small town, frontier town, you said, yeah, or out okay. in the desert, kind of sim like Texas, Utah, okay. Arizona area. Okay. And what year do we think this is? Uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. Okay. Cool. Yeah. The camera and the car have not been invented yet. Okay. Um, very, very early settler days. Mm-hmm. Uh, still lots of natives. Okay. Let me take a sip before that becomes the whole bitch. (laughs) 
The town has a name. It's in here somewhere, That's okay. but I forget where it is. I was really more curious about like geography where. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a desert town. Okay. Um, so let's just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to walk you through it. Any questions so far? Anything? No, no. I'm curious to hear. Okay, and and it would be very similar to there will be blood in tone and mm-hmm. shot composition and color correction and mood. Like that's okay. kind of the 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 aesthetic the feel that you're for. going for. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, the woman, the woman's name is Adia and her daughter is named Hineni. Uh, so the story starts, they're sitting alone in the, in the, uh, church at her husband's funeral and they are, it's just the two of them and the preacher, not quite asleep, but just running through the motions of a eulogy. Um, Adia has a, a little bit of money. She sells the property that they owned and their idea is to go out to the West to try to meet up with a family member who moved out there mm. long, long ago. Um, she hires Paul, a carriageman to take her and her daughter out and says, Oh, very important information. Her okay. daughter is mute. Oh, okay. Uh, and everybody assumes her daughter is, is an imbecile or mm-hmm. rough, whatever the word for it would have been back then. Sure. And she knows that her daughter has more going on and mm-hmm. they do have a connection, but she just doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but her daughter communicates with her in other Yeah, ways. they do have okay. communication. Like, she can ask her daughter questions, and her daughter will nod mm-hmm. or shake her head or how through old? body language. How old is the daughter? I would I would put her at 12, okay. maybe 13. Okay. So just, she's a young woman. Just Yeah, very young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, on the trip out, uh, Adia goes to hunt. She comes back to see Paul coming out of their carriage, and she mm-hmm. shoots him on sight. Because she knows and she's right. <laughs> okay. Um, this puts their journey West in jeopardy and it means they can't, they, they can't go as easily because now they're just continuing on, on their own without the guide, without the carriage. Man. Yeah. I love uh, it. It's like Thelma and Louise in the American West. <laughs> that's how I will pitch it from. Just well, that's kidding. just, this no, is just, just act one. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. Um, so they get out, they finally find a town and they would like to go further West. I think, um, Adia, uh, if, if we if we're asking what she wants, it's peaceful purchase for her daughter. Mm-hmm. If we're asking what she's really doing, I think she just wants to go die in the westernmost ocean that she can find. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think she's truly, truly, deeply broken about mm-hmm. the loss of her husband, and just wants to get her child somewhere. Not she just, she wants out, and she wants her child to be somewhere safe. Okay. Um, I don't think she has a death wish, but I think that's kind of the driving thing inside her soul. Mm -hmm. And this is what I talk about when I say I I start with the feeling and then Mm -hmm. work on the film. Like, there's no way to show that feel. You can show the actions that result from the feeling, but that's the feeling it starts with. So we'll have to have this conversation another time. I have a very specific name for that feeling that you're talking about. and The desire to walk into the Pacific Ocean? No, no, no. The idea of starting with the feeling that your character Mm has um, and using that to create the emotional core of your story and the, the theme of your story. Okay. Another discussion. Okay, okay. We will get to that. We will put a pin in that one and unpin it later. Uh, They finally find a town and they buy some land. The only land that they can buy is in this this, uh, very sheer valley that is, it's rocks. Mm -hmm. Nothing grows there. That's the only reason. Not not much grows in this town anyway. It's kind of a Midwest, deserty town. Um, They buy the the canyon uh, and they set up a little shack in there. Uh, Adia... Her husband was uh, worked in worked in water and irrigation and dry land farming. So this is the value she's bringing to the town. Mm. Uh, she starts. There's more. There's a mm. lot of moving pieces in yeah, this one. Yeah, that's okay. Um, the town 
is run by a husband and wife who own a church. There's no political system in place yet. There's no real mayor mm-hmm. or sheriff or any represent elected officials. It's right. a church runs the town mm-hmm. that the people are congregating around this church. Uh, the church wants to grow the town and there is the potential for a railroad to come through the town if they eliminate the natives that live to the west. Mm-hmm. Like the the train is going through towards the west mm-hmm. and it won't come through their town if there's a native mm-hmm. infestation. Again, I'm sure. using the words that yeah, they yeah. would use. No, I get it. Okay. Um, so when Adia arrives, they are uh, in the early stages of planning to eradicate, eradicate the yeah. natives. Adia says, let's hold on. Let's try to do this peacefully let's first let's try to make this town uh like a destination spot and we're going to do that by irrigating and we're going to do that by dry land farming so even if we don't have much water we're going to grow something whatever we can we're going to grow and we're going to survive without the slaughter of the the indigenous peoples Mm -hmm. and uh we will build a community and we will build a life this is going okay. Mm-hmm. This works. They irrigate. The river comes through their valley. They find a river to the north that, that they can they can divert, and mm-hmm. it comes through her valley. Uh, and she's only happy to give it to the whole community. It's just out of practicality that it comes through the valley. Sure. That's the shortest route. Drought hits. She ends up being the only one with water, mm-hmm. and the whole town turns on her. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're not growing, but she's growing. She tries to give as much as she can to the mm-hmm. community. Um, eventually, the 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 alliance, the plan to uh, to to do it through peace, is over. They the town goes with the church's plan to eradicate the natives mm-hmm. and uh, try to get this this train to come through. Uh, another thing that I forgot to mention. That's okay. Hineni is falling in love with the son of the church owners. Okay. And this is going great. This is gangbusters. Nobody could be happier for the first half of this film Mm -hmm. before the drought, because it looks like everything is going really smooth. Everything is turning up, turning up tulips for them. Uh, she doesn't fall out of love with him when her mother falls out of the good grace in the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, they put up the posse, they get together the, the army to go slaughter the natives uh, and Hineni joins them as as a nurse on this. Mm. Uh, she dies mm. in the battle. Um, August, uh, not August. What is his name? The son is named, I believe, Seth. Seth brings the son of the church folks mm-hmm. brings Hineni back the the body of Hineni, and he's devastated. He's mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely crushed by this. Um, he delivers the corpse to to Adia. Who pulls him in? He's tearful. She pulls mm-hmm. him in and holds him as he works through his grief, and then she shoots him in the head. Ooh! And then she. Uh, another thing that I forgot to mention is Paul, the carriage man, was a gun runner. Mm-hmm. So the carriage that she was that she took from him mm-hmm. is loaded with weaponry that, that belongs to someone else. That belongs. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was going to end up in the. Not at that town. Oh, okay. But he was a gun runner. Okay. Not sure. I haven't worked out all these details yet. Yeah. Uh, but he delivers. She delivers the guns to the natives. Oh, okay. And sets them loose. Like just says, you know, Use she this to defend yeah, yourself. Yeah. She delivers the body of Seth and all the weaponry that mm-hmm. she has come into possession of. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the natives come in, and it becomes a, it's a bloodbath. The village holds up in the church. 
which is not just a church, it's the armory mm-hmm. because they are not really pious folk. They are <laughs> frontiersmen mm-hmm. who are trying to claim as much property as they can. And it's it's a, a gruesome massacre. This is Act 3. If you can't guess mm-hmm. that this is yeah, Act sure. 3. <laughs> um, and then there's a final showdown in the in the in the 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 valley where she lives. The two church the, the heads of the church come over to try to to kill her for mm-hmm. for the havoc that she wreaked on their town. Uh, a, a blast of dynamite caves in the, the entrance, mm-hmm. killing both of them. But in the blast, uh, both of her legs are broken. So the final shot is her trying to crawl out of this mm. basin that she's created. And she cannot. There's no way she's going to get out. She will just bake to death. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody loses. <laughs> Long story. Lots of plot. Lots of plot in that well, one. So I like it. I mean, it feels, first of all, it feels very well thought out. So that's good. You've definitely prepared. Um Here's what I, here's what stands out for me about it. First of all, I, let me just say, I, I like the story. Here's what stands out for me as being especially good is mm-hmm. I really like her emotional arc uh, in the story. By the time you get to she shoots Seth in the head, <laughs> uh, I believe that action, right? And that's saying a lot because she, it's pretty extreme and it only means bad things for her because it's, you know, it's basically, um, asking, it's inviting the fight, right? Yeah. 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 So, she knows what she's doing. Right, it's not exactly. accidental. Yeah. So I think that's a great kind of like gut punch moment and even better that it's believable because you have shown us this woman who has a very specific emotional state and she's trying to do this thing. And the only thing she has left is her daughter and the hope that she'll set her daughter up for a, for a life so that she can, Mm-hmm. whatever that, you know, whatever her fate may be, her daughter will be set up for some sort of happiness. And then her daughter is killed, um, doing the thing that, you know, she didn't believe in anyway, mm-hmm. and, you know, which is a tragedy. And, um, there may be some self blame. There may be some, you know, guilt over that or some blame, uh, you know, on the town, as far as like, if it wasn't for you guys, she'd still be alive. So I like all of those emotional pieces that you have in play. Um, and I think, you know, you're saying it's a lot of plot, but it feels like the right amount of plot to me. Um, I, I, I buy all of it, everything that you told me. I like that downer ending. <laughs> it's, it's really bleak. I've been yeah. trying to think, I mean, there are ways you can write to save them, but it's not a film where, and watching there will be blood. It was like, yeah, you don't have to save them. Both right. people can end up they can be in their nadir at the end of the film. Right. If they, I mean, if you wanted to make it a more hopeful ending, you could have her moving on again. Like she'll, she'll, you know, she's not going to let herself die, but she'll move on to some other town and try to find some way to go on by herself. Right. It feels false to me. Yeah, though. It's like fair. I mean, I'm just saying like when you get that note from the studio that it can't, you can't kill everyone <laughs> off at the end, that's your alternative. Okay. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Just keep that in your back pocket. Uh, we'll um, do We'll do We'll do But, um, but yeah, I feel like it's the right amount of plot. The, the one part, anything that, squishy in there. Yeah. What, I was just about to get to the squishy part. So, um, so the one part that I feel like, um, I I don't think this is wrong in your story, but I think this is the part that if people get caught up and, and think, 
you need to fix this. It'll be Mm -hmm. here. And that's the break into two, because I think that you have, because you explained to me what she wanted, I knew what it was, but someone reading this, if they're, if you don't make that emotional component clear enough in act one, and so that we understand that her motivation is an internal motivation, her, um, external actions are really just a reflection of that desire to kind of create a safe space, which is, which feels a little bit squishy, even as I'm saying it, right. Yeah, 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 if yeah, you yeah. don't, you know, if you're not telling someone the story and explaining that to them, as they read those, those of that series of events, they may go, I'm not sure what she's doing, you know, like she, but, but I don't think that's wrong in your story. And I think there are ways to make that clear. It's just the part that you're going to have to be careful of when you're writing it. I think like just, just to pay extra special attention to making that clear that they're choosing this town because there's a reason she's choosing this town because she has some sort of objective about setting up shop here. I think it's out of necessity that, that they're just running out of resources Mm -hmm. that they can't go that much further. Okay, That makes sense then. Yeah. Also, once you get to the town, you learn that from there West, it's all natives Mm -hmm. and that, so it's sort of the last stop. Yeah. yeah, They don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah. They could, I get that. Um, yeah. And, and I think the overall, you know, the, the overall, uh, sort of plot goal for her, we understand is she's leaving her old place because she can't bear to be there anymore because her, her husband died. Right. So, mm-hmm. so she's trying to escape. I think that's a strong motivation. Is that enough? I, yeah. Cause I, I feel like I was kind of phoning it in with the, they have a relative in the way, but I don't believe that. Well, I, so, I really believe that she wants out of the world that yeah. she was in. So I think actually throwing in the relative out West confuses things because okay. then, then we don't understand why she's staying in this town and not why didn't she go to where she thought her relative was or why isn't she trying to figure out that out? You know what I mean? So that for me actually confuses things. Okay. I, I believe a character who can't bear to stay where she is because it's just, it's where she lived with her husband and the grief over that. Like she can, she can barely hold it together for her daughter and mm-hmm. she won't be able to, if they stay in this town, you know what I mean? So they have to go somewhere else. I buy I wonder, that. How are there ways to show that feeling? That's a really mm-hmm. nuanced feeling of, of, of loss. I mean, there's yeah. like the easiest ways to just show her sitting in the empty house at right. night, sitting in the dark room by yeah. herself. Yeah. I think but I wonder if there are more clever ways, more like, you know, like a wave cresting behind her head <laughs> as she slips in the ocean or something. I think that is a challenge. If you can find some clever ways to dramatize that feeling, I do think it is a feeling that a lot of people can relate to either because it's the, the grief feeling, yeah. right. The grieving, um, or just that sort of like depression. I think a lot of people can like, that's a recognizable yeah, feeling. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you can do it. Um, and if you can find ways to do it that aren't expected or cliche, it'll be really powerful, you know? Um, so yeah, that was the only area that I felt like was a little bit squishy was kind of the, um, why here, why now, why are they stopping? But I think you have good explanations for that. Um, and we understand that she's trying to create a new home, um, probably more for her daughter than for anything else. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I it's, think, abs- it's all for the girl. Yeah. It's all for the, so the I think daughter. that's strong enough. And I think as long as you keep your focus on that, when you're sort of like creating that sequence of events, that'll come through. We'll understand mm-hmm. it. Um, it won't feel squishy. Um, but, uh, and then first half of act two with her, um, kind of showing the town, 
what she can do yeah, and helping them. The the one other area that I was a little bit confused on yes, yes, yes. was... Um, and please ask any questions you have because there's a lot of stuff in my head that mm-hmm. I haven't jotted down and yeah. I'm trying to get to the... I always ask questions. Okay. Don't um, be shy. <laughs> no, so the other thing that I was a little bit confused on was um, how helping the town flourish was an alternative to killing the Indians. Like, I I think I got it at the end when you were like, they don't need the railroad to come through if they're fine on their own. Yeah. Um, There's something about that that doesn't quite sit right for me because you can only like, even if you, even if you become master irrigators, you can only sustain yourself. You can't really grow, which it sounded Mm -hmm. like was what the church and the town wanted was to actually become an even bigger community. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's some little disconnect there, um, that makes it feel like, uh, I, I'm not sure I would buy that she could convince the town not to do this thing just mm-hmm. because I can show you how to farm. I think what I'm trying to noodle with there is the, the like she's walking the righteous path mm-hmm. of and leave nothing but footprints mm-hmm. and take nothing but pictures or whatever the, their version sure. of that would be. Uh-huh. Um, and that the church is, is taking an expansionist, uh, an aggressively expansionist mm-hmm. view of the world, which is... Yeah, but just her ability to convince, to like bring her, them over to her side mm-hmm. in the first half feels a little bit tough for me to buy into, but I think you can do it. I don't think it's impossible. And I think probably that, you know, playing on them as righteous people will, yeah. will help. Yeah. Like, like um, you know that would be her sales pitch is basically you you say you're you're righteous people yeah. let me show you how we don't need to do these other types of things in order to be a community or whatever and also there's a very not not even at the beginning shaky but a very strong alliance between her and uh the, the uh Micah and Ruth are the parents names mm. of the church between her and Micah and Ruth because if she can bring agriculture to their desert community mm-hmm. then there's huge value in that right. regardless of of whether or not right and and uh, they they get the railroad, um, and if she's only going to give that if they walk a very Christian path mm-hmm. of not murdering everybody to the sure. west, uh, then then there can be. I th- I do think that there is a way. One of the, there's a reason that that uh, political machinations is in the log line mm-hmm. is because a lot of it is about how people can bend others to do what sure. they want as long as that person is getting that's I, I need to rewatch Lincoln because that whole film is about mm-hmm. political machinations right. more than anything else that I think that might actually link into I have two more questions nice for you. pun there <laughs> I didn't did not in, intend that all puns intended <laughs> when you're listening to movies the podcast what were um, you gonna say so I have is I have two other kind of questions to ask you and I think that that leads into uh the first one which yes. is in the first half things are going well and I know that that life is hard but is there some other conflict in there that's brewing? You know what I mean? That, that so that we won't feel like oh, it's yeah. just a survival story in the first half of Act Two. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. yeah um, uh, that's uh, the political machinations. Ruth and Micah will continue arming themselves up. They will continue importing weaponry, mm-hmm. regardless of of what the town is saying they want. So there's this. The gears of war will, even if they're turning slowly, they will be turning for the. But so does that directly affect your Adia? No. Because I want some conflict with her. You know what I mean? With your main character. Yes. (sighs) 
I guess I got to keep thinking about that. <laughs> but it could be the political machinations that you're talking about. I just am bringing it to your attention. Yeah. Like that's the part where you're saying everything's going great. And, and that's when I go, oh, that's too bad because we really want conflict. <laughs> I think um, like I kind of want to front load the good mm-hmm, and sure. back load the bad. Like, sure. get, like um, have you seen uh, The Founder, the movie about McDonald's? Mm-hmm. Like how for the first half of it, it looks like an an ad for McDonald's and how warm and rosy and how it's a family business. And there's a little bit of aggressive maneuvering happening. But by the end, you're just like these, this guy's a monster. This is a sociopathic maniac who's undermining the entire. So So I kind of want to like give them like, this could all be great if we got together and farmed and fell in love. I guess what's different about that example, though, is that... um, so like, like I was saying in your, in your movie, in the first half of act two, there's a, the potential to feel like it's just sort of about the man against nature, like the survival mm-hmm. in this area, which, which might be enough that totally might be enough to hold our attention in the founder. He's having conflicts with other people that are like working at the different franchises. Right. Yeah. Isn't that where all that happens? So he's trying to get things to go his way. And there are other people yeah. opposing him, not intentionally, but that are getting in his way. Right. So yeah. I'm just saying like, think about where you can bring that in too. So it doesn't just feel oh, like there's, we're there's, all working together and it's just nature that won't let us live here. You know, there's plenty, plenty. I'm of sure you have the natives yeah. who are, maybe getting in the way as well. Plenty of interpersonal difficulty. Uh, Moving, bending a river from east to south is, is lives could be lost. Right. right. But at what cost? At what cost? (laughs) Sure. Kind of thing. Uh, I would encourage you also, because again, that's, that is kind of just a survival thing, right? Mm -hmm. Which is interesting, but you want to, you want to bring enough other stuff, right? That it's not just about their survival there. Um, The interpersonal stuff, I think, you know, bringing in, You'll, you'll have lots of people to work with. You'll have lots yeah. of characters because oh, yeah, you have a yeah, whole yeah. town. There's, so, yeah. you know, just because they're all ha- managing to work together towards a common goal, they can still have different ways yep, of doing yep, yep, it yep. and different um, hidden motives. Yep, that they, different you know, reasons so, that yeah. they're playing along for a while. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that her Adia's big her big stakes thing, right. Mm -hmm. Is the protection of her daughter. Her daughter's already been violated once. So there may be some good conflict that you can dig out there with the way she protects her daughter trying to, you know, maybe she overreacts to certain things or I don't know, is overprotective. She's, she's not all in on the son of a preacher being her (laughs) her daughters. And would there be, would there be a question of, you know, does he need to know that her daughter is not pure? You know what I mean? Like that's another question sort of of the time. Yes. Would she reveal that to keep him from her daughter? Would he not care? You know what I mean? Cause he's really in love. All that stuff would be, might be good interpersonal yeah. stuff to think about. See, I was thinking, Oh man, I was too rosy for that. first. Cause <laughs> I, I was thinking like, what if he, what if he introduced her to, to reading? Like if he got, could mm-hmm. get into her head and writing mm-hmm. and she could get out of her head mm-hmm. in new ways through this one person. Yeah. That's great. And that w- like, how exhilarating would that be for Hineni? And what if, what if, uh, what if her first window out of her head was into the Bible? Like how quickly mm-hmm. would she latch onto that and mm-hmm. how, and, uh, I think it's safe to say that Adia is not Bit, she's not a religious woman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and she's not sold on this whole. Yeah, and I think that's a great. That is a great conflict to play up too, because you know the. It's just it's such a great like 
parent child yeah, conflict yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. I want to see the world my way. And why, yeah. why do you want to see it that way? That's, you know, I raised you a different way. And yep. 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 So. And she'd be pulled into the beauty and her mother would be aware of, of how complicated right. that beauty can be as right. an institution. Yeah. But, uh, and, and what's really happening with the people who say yep. they're righteous and, yep, and yep, all yep. that stuff. And she doesn't know how much, because Hineni doesn't speak, we don't know how much of it she understands and how mm-hmm. much of it she's processed. All of it. Right. 10% of it. Like there's a certain ambiguity yeah. to, to who, what, what, what her mother knows about what's going on inside of her daughter's head. Right. Right. And how much her daughter, now that she can communicate, how much does she communicate? Yeah. Like what, and how much does, does she, she let her mother choose in? to communicate just with, right. with Seth yeah. or there's yeah. a, there's a lot of little threads yes. to, to be played. I with love to, all that stuff. Um, to keep uh, the first half of act two. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So you got that covered. I love all that stuff. I love all the interpersonal Boom. stuff. Boom. <laughs> Here's my last question for yes. you. Um, so this movie, um, you are getting progressively more serious in your pitches, I think. That's, I mean, <laughs> it's no boogie down beach house You're USA. Right. It's no, it's no boogie down beach house USA. I think um, that's that's a result of having watched two fairly serious sure. films back to back, and uh, which. Uh, this is your week to choose, so right. I will let you steer the ship however you <laughs> like. But what, was that your question? Was am I a serious man? Or no, 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 no. Actually, my question was: It feels like okay, and and this isn't a knock on Boogie Down Beach House USA because because that, that film is unknockable, obviously. Well, because that movie actually does have a very um, a sort of earnest heart to it, right? There, yeah. there is a there is a message at the heart of that movie that is very earnest, I won't say serious, but it's very earnest and genuine, even though the rest of it is pretty absurd. Right. Um, so it's unfair to say you're getting more, you're taking your pitches more seriously because I think there was something deep and interesting. And I, and like I said, I'm not trying to say that they're getting better. I, it just, it feels like this pitch above all the others feels like it could be saying something really interesting thematically. And so my question was, what are you trying to say? Or do you, do you know what you're trying to say? And it's okay if you don't, because a lot of times we start a story not knowing what we're trying to say. That is, um, so one of, one of the habits I'm trying to develop as a writer is, um, what if the worst thing happened? Like whenever I'm writing, I think here's what I'm going to write. And then my brain will say, but wouldn't it be horrible if happened? Mm -hmm. And I will say, no, 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 we're not going to today because I'm writing this right now. But this was one where uh, just by the nature of the fact that I went in like thinking I'm going to write There Will Be Blood, but it's going to be the story of Joan of Arc. Mm -hmm. It's going to be There Will Be Blood with women, Joan of Arc, Mm -hmm. but There Will Be Blood was Joan of Arc. Mm -hmm. So then I had to kind of go back like what what horrible things could be happening Mm -hmm. and what could be interesting, what could... Um, but, but then it just becomes kind of not quite a stream of con it's a structured stream of conscious, Mm -hmm, but I don't know what I'm trying to say. And the fact that, uh, that, that the last image is, is her trying to crawl out of a basin where she will surely inevitably die. die. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what are we saying? Like, what is there to, and at the end of the, there will be blood. The two main characters have killed each other. Mm -hmm. They are at the one is physically dead and the other says, I'm finished. Right. There's nothing left for either of them to do in their living bodies. Yeah. So what's the point? None of it. None of it matters. <laughs> They're very nihilistic films. Yeah. Um, what 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 would be the point of this? Should I try to make something up? I could try. No, no, no you don't have okay. to. I was just wondering because this this feels like the type of movie that 
you know, I, you go see in a theater and you walk away going like, wow, that was really deep. <laughs> and yeah. I'm trying to figure oh, out what is that thing? Am I ruining it? Did I just take that away from you by saying like, I don't know what no, I'm doing? No, because I, like I said, I think, a, I think the majority of the time, I think most people come at stories because of an interesting plot thing or an mm-hmm. interesting character thing. And then they think about, because the truth is like the, the, the takeaway message that your movie sends isn't all, isn't 100% in your control. You put the pieces out there yep, and yep, then yep. the person viewing it interprets it in a certain way. So I think a lot of times the the pieces that you put into play that you are you are building a bridge to your audience, like saying, here are the things I'm trying to convey to you because I want you to get somewhere in the realm of this takeaway yeah, message, yeah, yeah. right? Usually those are like the character's arc, the main character's arc, um, how that main character handles their relationships, um, the lesson that they have to learn or that they don't learn in order to, to succeed in the end. So those are kind of the the questions, I guess, that you can ask yourself to sort of figure out like, what is, what is the takeaway? I I, I don't really like to say theme. I like to say the takeaway message. Um, I think you know me well enough that you can, you can kind of smell the, the, the common preoccupations that I have, like the, 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 the difference between, uh, religion and spirituality and, uh, the com the complexities of, of organized religion, mm-hmm. um, autonomy, uh, w- one of the biggest questions that I will never have an answer to in my life is like, what is it, what does it feel like to be a woman in a very complicated world? And, mm-hmm. uh, that will almost always be it. like the occupations, the preoccupations are all in this. Sure. I don't know what the point is, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you have some interesting things to to deal with though yeah. and to like sort of threads to pull on because I like what you were just saying there about autonomy, right? And the you know, we all have a desire for some autonomy, but what does that mean for your relationships, right? Like how do you how do you live with other people? How do you yep. have relationships, close relationships with other people if you if you're looking out for yourself or if you want to be completely autonomous or, you know, if you there's a struggle there between the self and the group. Right. So yeah, I think yeah. those are interesting things to, yeah. to play with. Um, it, it sounds like a deep movie. It does. It does. <laughs> I think, I think that there's just enough plot going on to distract you from the fact that I don't have a clear answer at the end, but, but I think you don't as, always need one. Maybe? Well, I think as you develop it, yeah. you, you create a, like I said, like anyone watching a movie has takes something away yeah. from it, whether you want them to or not. And so I think just by the choices that you make in your story, you're kind of, even if you're not doing it consciously, you are subconsciously creating like, this is what I think about the world. This is how the world yeah. works. You know what I mean? This is all that. This yeah. is a lot of, of yeah. how I see the world and how I, right. and the complexities that, that hurt me. And well, not hurt me, but cause pain or sure. cause anguish, or cause struggle, uh, on, yeah, on internal a, struggle or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> philosophical struggle. Well, nice job. I really like attrition. it. Attrition. I'm I'm getting better at this. What uh, does the name? What does the title mean? Attrition. Just I mean, wearing something down until it's until it gives up. How does that? It doesn't. That was a title I just wanted to use. <laughs> okay. That's, when been, you said attrition at first, I was thinking, oh, this is the set in the world of business or, <laughs> or something oh, like no, that. Oh, no, I always think of like like World War One mm. being a war of attrition and oh, a civil interesting. war. Okay. And okay. this is kind of like the, the, the just keep chipping away yeah. and chipping away and chipping away. Yeah. Until you know what this reminds me of? And this is a high compliment, even though I can't remember the name of the movie right now. <laughs> 
is um, Hostels. I just remembered it. That Christian Bale movie that just came out last year, mm-hmm. which uh, I loved so much. I saw it twice in two days. I That's thought, good. That's I good thought film. it was fantastic. I can, I can afford to see it once in one day <laughs> yes. if, if, if it's that good. There you go. I loved it. It didn't get a lot of buzz. Like it, it had a far smaller of a splash than I expected from it. Like mm-hmm. after I saw it the first time, I saw it on a screener and I was like, oh my gosh, people are just going to go crazy over this movie. And then I went and saw it in the theater mm-hmm. and it was like a half full theater opening weekend. Nobody cared. And it just sort of went away. And I, I don't know why, cause I thought it was great. Hustle. I'll check it out. I'll yeah. It, it out. reminds me of yours though. Just sort of the, I think the tone mm-hmm. and I don't know if it happens in the same time period, but it, it's sort of Western-y, old timey Western, <laughs> not, I, not Western, but like American West frontierish. I think so. I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot from There Will Be Blood to this one that, that like the West, all, like, th- there's not really that much factual necessity in Western stories. It's really like a, a mytho- mythology of, yeah. of America. Yeah. And I think that's one of the strengths of, of There Will Be Blood is I, I feel like it is the, the suicide of America. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it's not a West. You can, it's not a Western. It's, it's you talk a, about America when you make a Western. Right. Like whatever the film is, you're talking about the state of America, the politics, the, yeah. the soul of our country. Yeah. I think there are like different treatments of Westerns, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the, there's the more realistic treatment of it, which is um, probably not the first thing that people think of when they hear the term Western. The first, th- the first thing I think of is like saloons and guys with spurs and the sheriff's badge, yeah, you know, which is like, like the, the cheesier the... version, I think. You yeah. know, it doesn't yeah. have to be, but I think it easily goes that way. It's like the cliche version. But I think there's also the treatment of the Western, which is like There Will Be Blood or Hostels, which is which is the environment of the American West. You know? Are we putting The Revenant in there? Is I didn't that... see it. Okay. Maybe I'm pretty that, sure. Maybe I'm that'll like be next week. 90% no. sure. Please, no. Can we please have something light <laughs> yeah, and we'll breezy? Yeah, we'll go light next week. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure Jack Fisk did The Revenant. Like, oh, kind of anytime you see a period piece where mm. the period is one-to-one recreated, that's mm-hmm. a Jack, Jack oh, Fisk film. Interesting. And that's what we call a callback, bringing it around <laughs> where we circle. started. So, uh, yeah, let's so, let's round it out there. Uh, what, yeah. are, what have you got for me? What am I, what am I watching next week and pitching against? Oh, my gosh. I have not thought of what we'll be watching. Dun, so, dun, I will dun. think of it, but it will be lighter. We've had two kind Thank of, you. like... Uh, bleak movies in a yes, row. So let's yes. go, let's go something a little bit more optimistic, you know, like silence of the lambs or <laughs> elf. elf. What about elf? I st- Maybe elf. I don't, okay. I don't know. I, I've seen that so many times. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I, I still, I don't know who's the guy. Sometimes Redbox has it. Sometimes they don't. Mm. Whoever's in charge of deciding which Redbox has elf. Uh, the Ralphs on Colorado really needs a copy of elf <laughs> like yesterday, sir. Got it. Um, so I don't know what we're watching okay. next week, but do you, have a something anything, anything else? else? Uh, I uh, I've been taking trips down to Upright Citizens Brigade Franklin, oh. and I've been enjoying the comedic stylings of of the new generation of improv comics. Nice. Have you been seeing the the long form shows or like an hour long? Yeah, is it like where they do like one game that they play out over? So I've I've been seeing Harold Knight, which is two teams get thirty minutes each, and mm. all they need is one word, and they'll mm. weave a web of comedy gold for you based on that one word. And the other thing is the hour-long version where all they need is one word and they'll weave a comedy web for you. Yeah, and it's been good? You've enjoyed I, it? I really, like, I really like the new generation of comedy because so... The, the, there's like the everyone's hypersensitive and you can't make jokes about anything. But uh, what happens is you 
there, there's freedom in restrictions where the humor becomes absurdist and uh, it's it's untethered to any any one person or topic or demographic. It's really kind of open uh, open season on silliness, mm-hmm. and I, I really like silliness. I mm-hmm. really really enjoy a, a unmitigated silliness, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think that the new generation of comics who are coming up, like mm-hmm. I think they have Genius. a lot of freedom and beauty in that, and I'm really yeah. excited to see kind of how they're how they're approaching comedy, uh, and and it's it's fun. It's yeah. and it's. Nothing the price is that. right five to seven dollars for an hour of entertainment <laughs> nice. I'll, I'll take it as something anything else from you yeah so i know that something anything else is supposed to not be movies but i have to i, Should I, I have to say this for, what, what do you have to say please <laughs> I, I, say I, I pray that you will please say it because um i did not get out last weekend for opening weekend of crazy rich asians even though i wanted to support i didn't do it i'm going second weekend because i want to keep the numbers up okay I'm going weekend number two. Do we have to open this bag right now? Because I can't keep my mouth shut. You don't have to look in the bag. Just let me pull some stuff out. Please, please, please. Okay, so I didn't get out to see it. But in in an effort to uh, still support, Mm -hmm. I watched a Netflix movie called To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is this very sweet teenage um, romantic comedy based on a YA novel. And the lead girl is, uh, she's supposed to be half Korean. She's actually played by a Vietnamese actress. Her entire family is uh, three daughters. They're all mixed, you know, they're all mixed race. They're all from the same parents. Um, And it was refreshing to me to see Mm -hmm. a um, teen movie with an Asian lead. And I thought she was adorable and did a great job. And uh, refreshing to me to have deliberately mixed race characters in, in the movie. Um, And I just thought the story was so sweet and it actually made me cry, which is kind of what I'm looking for in a movie. Um, It made me feel something. So I recommend it. Can I spit venom? Because I got I got extra venom. I have a surplus of venom and no platform on which to vomit it. Here's the thing: is uh, when when Crazy Rich Asians Mm -hmm. opens at number one, we as a society forfeit the right to do late stage capitalism memes. Okay. Because, like, (laughs) explain. Because, like, everyone's puffing their chests out and acting so tough. Like, oh, we're we're not down with capitalism. We don't like stanky rich pornography of money and then crazy rich Asians opens at number one, which I cannot go see because I have such like a, uh, my skin crawls at, uh, at the title at financial pornography. Okay. It's the Asians I, part is totally cool. You're, you're offended the by the crazy rich, part. rich like the <laughs> celebration it. of obscene wealth sure, is, sure. is off the map. I get for that. Me. I, I look at it as I want to support the movie, um, because I want to see more movies like this, me not, too. not the crazy rich part, me but the Asian too. part. And I think you vote with your dollars. And so I agree 100%. I, and so I, I wanted to go see it. I didn't get out to, but so in, in its stead, I wanted to support another movie with an Asian lead. So, Okay, I'm done vomiting okay. venom all over the microphone. <laughs> okay. And that is going to do it for today. Is that going to do it? You can find me at hollywoodfishbowl.com and we can all find you at... Uh, writeandco.com. All right, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Bye! Bye!